There had recently been a report on NPR that gay and questioning youths were four times as likely to make an attempt on their life as straight peers. That was what motivated me to make the film. I loved that the thing I knew how to do well, which is tell stories through film, had the capacity to reach people in a way a new story doesn't. Have you ever noticed that some of the best ideas come from unexpected places? Your next breakthrough may come from a leader facing similar challenges, but in a completely different sector. Welcome to Chief Influencer. I'm your host, Anthony Shop. Join us as we explore how today's successful leaders inspire, influence, and connect with others. Chief Influencer is a production of Social Driver and the Communications Board, who have teamed up to spotlight how great leaders and communicators are making their impact in the world. This episode is brought to you by the George Washington University's College of Professional Studies. With in-person and online programs, ranging from master's degrees in public relations strategy to certificate programs in digital communications, GW offers more than just the credentials to help working professionals get ahead. It prepares them to be leaders in their field. As a proud GW graduate myself, I can attest that faculty members combine academic rigor with real-world lessons that can't always be found in textbooks. Check out cps.gwu.edu for more information. Today, I am so excited and honored to be joined by Peggy Reiske. Peggy is an Oscar-winning filmmaker and founder of the groundbreaking nonprofit, The Trevor Project. For those of you who don't know, The Trevor Project is the premier organization providing crisis intervention and suicide prevention services to LGBTQ teens and young adults. The story goes back to 1994 when Peggy won the Academy Award for Best Live Action Short with her directorial debut for Trevor, a poignant comedy about a young teen whose world is turned upside down when word spreads at school that he might be gay. Peggy's experience with the film led her to create The Trevor Project. America's first 24-7 suicide prevention service dedicated to LGBTQ young people. In 2014, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences named Peggy a live action icon. Over her incredible career, she has produced numerous award-winning feature films, served as the Dean of Loyola Marymount University's prestigious School of Film and Television, taught at NYU's top-ranked graduate film program, and has conducted workshops and masterclasses for Sundance Institute, American Film Institute, and the Motion Picture Association, and more. Last year, Peggy stepped into the role of interim CEO at the Trevor Project. Her goal from 1998 to today, 25 years later, is ensuring Trevor's legacy as a vital and industry-leading life-saving resource for LGBTQ young people. I am so excited to have you here today. Peggy, welcome to Chief Influencer. Anthony, thank you. It's so wonderful to be here with you and your great, great podcast. Well, I think you are the first Oscar winner we've had. So that is definitely a milestone. But we're just so um, in awe of how you have taken that experience to create this global movement, which we will talk about more. And I want to just start by asking you, you know, we think some of the most effective leaders are more than chief executives. They are chief influencers. They have to find a way to connect with and influence all kinds of people to make the impact they want in the world. And I'd really like to start by asking you, who do you have to influence to make the impact you want to see in the world? It is a wide range of folks, that's for sure. You know, I think uh, when I think about the history, you know, with 
the Trevor Project, you know, the first place we had to start was um, <laughs> was actually, you know, who's who's going to support it. And the first person I had to convince was someone I wanted to partner with to be the person that was a well-respected expert in the field of suicide prevention, Dr. James Nagdeman. And uh, he was thrilled with this idea and um, was running one of the most successful and well-respected suicide centers in the United States here in Los Angeles. And anyway, so needed to convince him that, you know, I was real about the idea and uh, and he said, if you can find the resources, I'll work with you. And uh, and that's the next thing we did. And uh, so our next circle of people you have to influence are folks who are willing to invest in you and your idea. And at that point, a not well-known or established at all organization. So in some ways, the hardest thing is when you're doing a startup is who's going to be the first money in to help you do things. Um, and then the next level of influence, again, you're always thinking, what's the big picture goal? And it's your audience of young people. And how are you going to get the word out to them, as well as the folks that will support you? So you have to influence media, you know, so you have to make allies with the folks that are interested in your story, you have to seek them out, pitch the story, and get press and coverage for what you're doing. Um, and then lastly, you have to make sure that you're getting the word out on channels that the young people you want to serve are tuning into. And that all of those audiences, the means of reaching them have changed wildly over the years. Um, and that's been part of what's been interesting about the journey. You have to always be willing to be flexible and adapt as you go along. I want to dive into that idea that the world has changed a lot uh, since you started the organization. But first, let's go back. I mean, this film, this Oscar-winning film, I think that is so cool, eventually launched a national, now a global movement. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could take us back to 1998. And could you tell us about the moment when you secured an airing of Trevor on HBO with Ellen DeGeneres as host and discovered that there was no real place for young people like the character Trevor, to turn when facing challenges similar to what he experienced in the film? And what did you do when you discovered that? Well, it was a shock. I mean, it, it came up in the oddest way. I was just on a phone call with a friend, uh, my friend Deb, saying, hey, want to share the good news? We're going to be on HBO and Ellen DeGeneres is going to host. And you have to remember 1998, it's the year Ellen came out. She was on the cover of every magazine in the country. You know, it was clear people were going to tune in. And that's what she said to me. Oh, this is so great. You know, I bet a lot of kids, young kids like Trevor will be watching the show. You should give them a place to call. <laughs> and it was like, uh, what a good idea. But I have to tell you, um, when I think back to the moment, it was electric. I I actually felt something go through my body. And I, I actually had a moment of fear and paralysis. It only lasted a second or two. Um, but I knew her casual comment was important. And uh, 
after that moment, I just went, oh, oh, they can't be that hard. There must be, you know, there must be a line out there. And, um, you know, that's where my, I, I, I received accolades for Trevor as a director, but most of my career in film has been as a producer and a producer, you know, it's a great skill set. It's you're a problem solver. You know, you have a vision, you have something you're trying to get made and done. You got to get a lot of people behind it to get it through to completion. And uh, that's the part of me that kicked in. I was like, oh, there must be. a." So I researched it. I found two numbers. They were only open on the weekends, but they said they were 800 lines. Reached out to both of them and didn't get an answer at either. And that was the moment that... You realize you're faced with a choice. Do you just go, oh, well, I tried? Or do you make a decision to commit to solve the problem? I knew the high rate of suicide among gay and questioning youth. Um, It was part of what motivated uh, the person who wrote this piece in the first place um, as a sketch in a one-man show. And you know, they knew that there had recently been a report on NPR about that gay and questioning youths were four times as likely to make an attempt on their life as their peers, as straight peers. That was what motivated me to make the film. I loved that the thing I knew how to do well, which is tell stories through film, um, I knew that that had the capacity to reach people in a way a new story doesn't. Because film can make you feel things. It sort of bypasses when it's working. It bypasses the brain and it goes to your heart. It's a When films work, you have a visceral reaction to them. And I thought I could capture that in this short film. And and I think, and I'm very grateful for this, um, I think it shows it did, you know, and the Oscar opened the door to this opportunity. So I realized that, by God, there would be a lot of kids watching because it was on HBO Family Channel. And um, I mean, honestly, I just, I wouldn't have been able to sleep at night if I didn't try to do more to find a way to help. So at that point, I just figured, well, if there's not one, got to make one. And uh, that's when I did reach out to a wonderful, one of the first people I had to influence to help, which was a very well-respected leader of a suicide hotline that operated here in Los Angeles, but its reach and reputation was nationwide. And um, Dr. Nagdman, who was running that, was very interested in this. He was gay himself. He loved working with gay youth. And uh, he said, he, I, I guess I somehow convinced him that um, I was legit. And uh, he said, well, if you can find the resources, I'll help. So that's when I reached out to my filmmaking partners, Randy Stone and Celeste Lacine, the writer, um, and said, uh, we've got a child here at doing something. Do you want to join me in trying to figure this out? And of course they said yes. And that's where uh, we formalized, we established uh, the Trevor Project as a 501c3. Uh, we raised the money, put together a board, and that was the, the launch of the organization. 
The thing that was uh, a little challenging was we only had three months. At the point that I learned this, that there was no line, it was three months from air date. So had to do all of this and pull it together. And I will tell you, the clock was ticking. <laughs> and it was five minutes before it aired that the last thing, we not only were watching the, the, the helpline, but we had to also launch a website so people would yeah. know where to go and if they had questions and information and it had resources on it. But it was, it was down to the wire. But <laughs> we got it done. And, um, and I was at the call center the night the film premiered, I watched it there. And when the 800 number came up at the end, you know, the phone started ringing off the hook. And it was a really powerful moment, Anthony. Um, I mean, I started shaking. Um, And just there were people and they just started answering and answering and answering. And um over 1500 calls came in that night wow. and uh and here we are and they haven't stopped in 25 years <laughs> you know it's our 25 year anniversary this year and it hasn't stopped since my goodness peggy I, that i knew some of that story but some of that's new to me and i didn't know that it was down to the wire like five minutes before oh, air i mean that is a bit crazy um, but I also, it occurs to me that there was this moment where you said you felt this sort of electric, you know, feeling and you had this fear and paralysis. And it occurs to me that you could have listened to a voice that said, you know, this isn't your thing to do, or this is too hard, but you listened to another voice that said, somebody's got to do this. And I think that's something that a lot of leaders can probably relate to. I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit more, because it's the first time I've heard that. And I think it's really powerful. Oh, you know, the, the truth is, I, um, you know, really over the course of my life, I really have followed a strong inner voice. People can call it hunches. You can call it intuition. Whatever word you want to use, um, I have really used that as a guide on every major decision in my life, from making the leap to move to New York from my small town in Wisconsin um, to start my professional career um, after college. Uh, certainly through major moments in my life, um, you know, I'm a very anal- I'm a left brain, right brain person. You know, I'm creative, but I'm also very pragmatic and grounded. Um, I can give very analytical, logical, business-like analysis of things. And when I have to make a decision, though, I process all of that, but then I take a quiet moment and I tune in. And I listen to that voice. And what is it telling me to do? There have been times it aligned with the facts and said, go for it, throw in. And there are times when the facts seem to certainly be indicating to go right. And my voice is telling me, no, actually, 
it's a left. And for better or for worse, I have relied on that throughout my life. And so at this moment, I knew, it sort of felt like that electric shock was kind of like the universe giving me a whoop upside the head, going, don't miss this. This is really important. And, um, and I listened to it. And, you know, that's a, it's true. We have free will. Nobody's making us do anything. Um, but it was a choice I made. And little did I know uh, it was going to turn out to be one of the most important things in my life. You're glad you made the choice. And aren't we all glad <laughs> that you made that choice? Because, I mean, you took us to the moment when you had 1,500 calls the first night of the, um, you know, Trevor airing on on HBO. And now if we fast forward from that moment when Trevor Lifeline was born and it was a small operation staffed by volunteers to now you have over 500 full-time staff, hundreds of thousands of young people in crisis. You might even know the exact number have reached out to Trevor through multiple in-person and online life-saving and life-affirming resources. You have Trevor Lifeline still, but you also have Trevor Chat, Trevor Space, Trevor Education Workshops. Did you ever imagine that this organization would grow to become the movement that it is today? No. I mean, here's the thing. It's very funny. All I was focused on was I knew kids needed help and I knew that I could be part of them getting it. And that's all I focused on. And, you know, one of the things that I've learned, you know, people always go, well, how did you have the confidence, you know, to do something like this? You're not a mental health expert. You're not even gay. (laughs) You know, what is it? Um, But honestly, I've learned that the definition of confidence isn't that you know everything. It's that you know you'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. that the answers will reveal themselves. And your job is simply to take the next step. And that's what I did with Trevor. Just took the next step that led to the next step, next step, next step. You know, people often talk about with nonprofits, uh, and not just nonprofits, by the way, uh, corporations as well, about a founder syndrome, about people don't know when to let go and to let, you know, that a founder has a role a very important role, obviously, at the genesis of any good idea. Um, And I will say, one of the things I'm proud of is I don't think I've ever suffered from founder syndrome in the way it's usually used, which is that people use that term in a derogatory sense of blocking growth, of not being able to take in other ideas that expand and build on your original concept or idea. Um, And I think the things you've just quoted are proof of pudding, you know, that I was always looking for who can move us forward? How can we move forward? When have we outgrown this and need to move that? Um, And I've been a through line, I think, and a constant now. I've, I've, 
was the first executive director for the first three years. But at a certain point, I knew we needed to bring in someone else who could um, help us move to the next level. And that worked out. Um, and that has been the case throughout Trevor's evolution. That's why it's especially, I think, moving and poignant in a way, uh, as well as I'm immensely honored to be back at Trevor where it is now, because at this quarter century mark, it's beautiful to be back, to be able to help the, tr the organization go through yet another transition in its history. And to remember that the very things that grounded its inception are what carry us through into the future, where we're now expanding. Uh, we have operations based in Mexico. That operation is now serving all of Latin America. It's extraordinary what's going on. The country's established a 988 suicide hotline, and we are the leading provider within the 988 structure for LGBTQ young people. That alliance, and by the way, our advocacy team has worked for the past five years to help 988 get launched and to ensure there was specified funding targeted for our young audience. And what came out of all of that is that I now get to be back at Trevor with 25 years more of business experience, wisdom, and history um, to help us through this next transitional chapter. Yeah. And it's a very exciting time for Trevor. As I said, our 988 Alliance has doubled our call volume. So we're looking at, you know, how do we, uh, we're meeting that need. But how do we now manage internal to the organization, the structural changes that are needed for that growth and expansion? Um, and throughout it all, maintain the quality of our services, which has always been number one mm -hmm. in my concerns and in my mind. It's, it's really incredible to hear about that evolution from the beginning to where you are now. And you talked about your own evolution. One of the things that um, has also evolved is obviously the audience you serve. Um, when you started, Trevor, the the young people you're serving today, many of them were not even born yet. But most of them probably weren't even born yet. So can you talk a little bit about how the organization and how an organization in general has to evolve to meet the audience of today? Because I think that that is it's so important for all of us, but also Trevor is such a great example of that evolution. And you referenced it a little bit earlier with some of the, the new supporters you have, but I'd love to go into it deeper. Well, the things, I mean, first of all, technology has changed. I mean, remember when we started, there were barely cell phones. <laughs> okay. yeah. This is what's always amazing to me. It's like, oh my God, remember what it was like? You know, the internet was still, we didn't have, let's Google, you know, to find everything. Um, but we now have, you know, text and chat, which are main, main ways of reaching young people. We still get calls, don't get me wrong. Um, and that human connection that I've always felt voice to voice is so important. 
But it is a gener- huge generational shift that a lot of people are still more comfortable doing text and chat. And so, you know, we've evolved with that. So how we reach our audience is different. The kind of folks we, and it's partly because we came out of, I think, the entertainment industry, but we've always understood the value uh, and we're able to have some well-known folks as allies um, to the Trevor Project. And we used, you know, celebrities like, you know, Holly Hunter was the host for our first fundraiser um, and her name on invitations helped bring people in. You know, we got support from people that were well-known to young people then, like Elton John and Sting were um, Trevor supporters. And it's very different now. And now we work with people like Daniel Radcliffe, bless his heart, who just hosted this wonderful um, program called Sharing Spaces, you know, where he sat and spoke with a handful of trans and non-binary young people about their lives and identity and what they're facing. Um, and Dylan Mulvaney, you know, which is, you know, one of the biggest personalities on social media and incredible about what she represents as a person, because not only, I mean, part of why she's well known is because of her authenticity about being who she is and sharing that with a wide range of people who are following and inspired by her journey as she's gone through a major transition, you know, in terms of her orientation, our presentation, and, you know, stepping into who she really is. So just, you know, social media, media channels in general, the ways in which where our audience lives and resides, you know, that's one thing as well as what we do to help make sure our donors, corporations, et cetera, also know about us and the audience we bring to those possibilities. Um, You know, we've always engaged in a win-win approach. You know, the Trevor Project isn't right for every corporation and supporter, um, but there are many, many folks we are right for where our you know, there are many folks who wouldn't be right for us. You know, it's a two-way street. But what I've always been for is where do we each extend the messages we want to bring into the world? And that's that's what I look for. I look for those in the Venn diagram of life. Where are the where do those things overlap? Where we can help each other, help the young people we're here to serve. You know, speaking of that Venn diagram, it occurs to me that, you know, whether you're creating a film or you're leading a nonprofit, you do have to influence a wide range of stakeholders, right? From um, funders and staff down to young people that you're serving in the case of Trevor. And in the case of a film, you know, from producers and cast members to the audience that you want to, to watch the film. And I'm just wondering, what have you learned about creating a brand that can feel special to each of those different stakeholder groups, but at the same time can speak to all of them? I mean, that seems like a real challenge, you know, to build a brand that a major corporation is going to support, but also 
young people who are among the many millions who follow Dylan Mulvaney will also think resonates with them and speaks to them. Well, it has always seemed pretty, um, how shall I say, I think kind of simple to me. I mean, a brand should be who you are. And we all throw around the words authenticity. Um, And here's the way you do that. I think it's you're honest. You're very clear about who you are, what you stand for, and what your mission is. I would say that one of the things I think I've been helpful as a through-line voice on the board and with Trevor from its first day to now is mission creep. I was always, the reason we exist and the only reason we exist is no one else is doing this. There are hundreds of other gay organizations in this country and no one has identified and filled this very pressing and underserved need. So if there had been, believe me, I would have happily have partnered with them and turned all this over to an existing organization that I could trust, but it didn't exist. So I go, we, and I was always very clear from day one, we exist to feel a niche that no one else is serving. And because we were there in the beginning, I think we've learned how to do that better than anyone else. And the gift of where we are now is that we are in a position to share that knowledge and know-how with other people. My goal is saving young lives. Whoever throws in to help do that, I'm down with, right? So, that's why I'm, I consider our um, expertise open source, if you will. You know, we, this is why our organization sits on many strategic groups, you know, are on mental health commissions, you know, that the government sponsors, you know, that we are weighing in and helping support and protect the mental health needs of this group of people because they have been historically underserved and underrepresented in the very places of power that can help them. And so we definitely are there to take the calls, but part of our efforts as both a suicide intervention and prevention service, intervention is our crisis services, But prevention comes through our advocacy and research efforts, which have been growing over the years. Um, And the fact that we have Trevor Space, which is a safe messaging platform for this identified special interest group, is really important. That also wasn't out there. You know, so I see um, Trevor as being quite innovative, to be honest, from its conception to what it continues to do today. Um, so I'm not sure if that exactly answered your question, but um, but it's what came to mind. It does we because what, you, what you're saying is you have to be very clear. Well, what were your three C's? Because you did it as you were talking through. Oh. Tell us that again. 
I said, when I used to teach uh, of my classes, I'd always go to my students, my wonderful grad students at NYU. I go, because I would teach classes on pitching. And it was like, look, here's the deal. You've got the three C's, clear, concise, compelling. You're a storyteller. You have to be a storyteller every day of your life. Every meeting you go to try to get money or support every time you want someone to introduce you to someone else, when you're talking to agents and managers, you always have to be able to tell your story of what you're doing, what you want to make. That story is twofold. The actual narrative drama, comedy, whatever, the narrative piece you're making, but it's also the story of you because people invest in people as well as ideas. They can't separate the two. So you have to know how to talk about who you are in a clear, concise, and compelling way. And you have to talk about what you want to accomplish in the same way. You know, for me, that connects so much to what business leaders can really take away from your experiences um, of, you know, being a master storyteller, creating art that then inspired this organization, but also what you said before about listening to your inner voice. Because when I asked you, um, how do you manage the expectations of all these different stakeholders who basically are looking for all these different things? You said, well, it's simple. You know, you have to just be authentic and honest and you have to be, you know, focus on what you're trying to achieve in the world. And you're able to communicate what that means for you and for Trevor. And I think for many leaders, they may be susceptible to telling everybody what they want to hear a little bit and not having that North star. And by doing that, you know, folks might be happy in the moment. They're certainly not going to be happy in the long run, are they? And you have really kept that North star um, where it was 25 years ago. It's where it is today. But of course, so much has changed because the world has changed and you've expanded. I just think that's such a powerful lesson for all of us to take away about what storytelling means. You can hear the word storytelling, Peggy, and it can sound like, you know, tell a tale, right? That that's and and but that's not what you mean when you talk about storytelling. It's that honest, authentic message that um is laser focused on where you want to go and in your case the need that you see needs to be fulfilled in the world. You beautifully captured it, Anthony. Wow. I mean, Trevor's not logo like has <laughs> Trevor's logo has a star in it for a reason. You know, I always go, what's the North Star? What's the North Star? And I often say, you know, the journey of Trevor has been a little bit like a ship in the ocean, you know, and you're going to get buffeted by winds and waves that want to, you know, move you off track. And if you vary just by a degree or two in the moment, you know, you may wind up in uh, South America instead of North when the journey is done. And that isn't where you were heading. So that's where I always go. And that is the, what's our mission? What's the North Star? This is how we make decisions. What's our mission? What's our vision? What are our values? Yeah. And as long as you stay aligned and consistent on that, you'll get to your North Star. Or you'll use it as the guide to get you where you need to go. And I will say that that's part of the, the journey for me has been one of faith. Like, I know what the North Star is, but I really, it's 
often you're in the dark and you cannot see what the path is. And that's when I go, all you can see is the next step in front of you. Oh my gosh. And that's, I'm feeling that electricity that you were describing earlier from you telling me that. And I didn't know the star and the logo, the connection you made there. That's just, yeah. that's giving me chills. Um, Peggy, you, so something I want to ask you about is I think a lot of leaders have found that best, the best new ideas or creative ideas can come from unexpected places. And I'm just wondering across this journey, you know, um, from Wisconsin to New York to LA and this, this amazing career, you know, being on stage at the Academy Awards, accepting an Oscar, where have you found inspiration that might come from unsuspecting places? I think one of the most valuable traits you can have as a leader is curiosity. And I have a lot of that. I am really interested in people, for one thing. I thrive on social contact. I'm not a work at home alone. Uh, not the best of circumstances for me. Um, so I see Zoom as my friend. Um, but I am a voracious, these days, a voracious consumer of podcasts. I find that those are um, one of the best places to really get a deeper dive. And usually one that I think gets me closer to the essence of what's really going on in on lots of different fronts. And I... For example, you know, there's a wide range of things I listen to, whether it's arts and culture, you know, they're uh, this one called Fante, Fante, you know, they're fans anti and pro of different things. And they're a hoot. They're very funny and wonderful and also honest and authentic in their views on life, culture, uh, and going on to journalists that do that. Um, Brown Enough. Uh, another wonderful podcast uh, that focuses on things from a Latin Latinx perspective. Um, love my Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway. Listen to them a lot um, for their take. But it, the list just goes on and on. Hard fork, um, long form. You know, people who do uh, everywhere from quick snippets I mean, uh, for example, some of the best storytelling and married with some investigative journalism, I think on air is This American Life uh, and the spinoffs. It helped um, inspire like Serial, et cetera. Um, you know, I find those kind of outlets and avenues very stimulating intellectually, creatively, Um soul and spirit. You know, I also listen to 10% Happier and the Tara Branch podcast to feed um, sort of my spiritual side and my curiosities and investigations in that area, um, which has also been of great value to me as a leader. Uh, I love art. I just love, love, love um, go visiting museums and being fed by that. Uh, and, you know, certainly theater when I get the chance. 
uh, less so these days. I don't have the opportunity as much, but very much fed by that. Um, and time in nature. Now, I'm assuming it's just a given that I watch movies a lot. <laughs> so I'm not sure I have to say those. But I learn about the world and other people through films. That started when, I mean, when I was a kid, I watched Saturday morning movies. Every week I was down there in the basement in my pajamas watching the films. They were just programmed. It was cheap programming at that time for TV stations. So I was watching everything, you know, from the Maltese Falcon to, you know, uh, Abbott and Costello to, you know, Tarzan and Jane. But it just, I think that's probably where I fell in love with Manhattan. I saw it. It's such a romantic place when I was a little kid. I think it got burned in my brain then. But those are all the things that influence me and inspire me. And I think in that way, you know, what you bring to the leader is the totality of you. So you need to make sure you feed all of you mm. to bring a balanced, um, a balanced, informed maturity and perspective to leading. Yeah. What I'm kind of hearing is, I mean, film is something that obviously has a business side, but it, it connects with people at all levels. And that sort of holistic approach that um, you took to film and to art and your love of that, that started when you were a child. What I'm hearing is you're bringing that to your role as a leader of an organization, looking for inspiration in all kinds of different places um, that might affect you know, the leadership that you provide and the way you connect with people to solve problems. I think one of the most important things a leader can bring is heart. Trevor is all about heart. Every person who works at Trevor is there because they were moved by the mission. And to me, that's the part of the equation you can never forget. What any of us want to accomplish, it's only going to be accomplished by working with other people. And there are motivators for people. Money can be one of them. My guess is you're not going to work in a not-for-profit if that's your main motivator, right? But when I think about the people who work for Trevor and that audience, if you're not feeding their heart and soul and aligned with what you have stated is the mission and vision for the organization and the values you use to make your decision, if there's not alignment behind that, you're not going to keep those people. You're not going to keep the good people you need around to do the necessary work. And you won't be able to be have an environment where people are feel free enough to bring forward really interesting, innovative and groundbreaking ideas. This is where I think my experience as a producer has been immensely helpful. As a producer, you're never the expert. Your job is to hire people who know way more than you do about how to get the job done, right? I'm not a cinematographer, but I know what the difference a good cinematographer makes in the telling of a story. So that's why all of us fight to get that handful of people that you think are suited for the project. 
And that goes in every category, costume designer, editor, music, score, all that. It's the same thing at Trevor. If we don't have good people who are willing to lead and help elicit the best of the people that work for them at every level of the organization, you know, it's not going to be a good mix. So that's what I'm dedicated to. And what at this point in time, I think is one of the things I bring, uh, hope I'm bringing to the Trevor Project and having impact through that. You know, I love that people-centered focus that you're talking about and that finding the heart, you know, um, uh, connection to the organization. And I just have one last question for you today. So you were recently recognized by UCLA as a pioneer of queer cinema the only non-LGBTQ identified filmmaker to be included in that. And like you said before, you're a proud ally of the community. But I want to ask more generally, how important is it for a leader to be an ally for others when they aren't a member of a specific community? Because of course, no one can be a member of every community. Um, Can you talk about allyship? Allyship for Trevor has been in its DNA from the beginning, not only in terms of the vessel the generating idea came through, which is me, uh, and I'm straight, um, through every layer of support. I think what can often happen is that folks, we all have a need to feel surrounded by people we resonate with. Often that relates to identity. And while that can serve us within, and I think is a necessary part of our development, like I know, for example, how I feel when I get around uh, and having a group of strong female friends has absolutely been important and helpful to me in the in my growth, my professional growth, and in my personal growth. But that's not my whole world, professionally or personally, right? So I think that when we're dealing with groups that have traditionally felt um, marginalized, not just felt, but actually have been marginalized, underrepresented, you very often look for understanding and support from others that look like you and that and identify the same as you. And that's really important. But if we want change in the world, all of us have to learn to reach across, not only for support, but for um, camaraderie, fraternity, and commitment to a shared vision. That's how the world changes. So right from the beginning, Trevor has had um, folks that identify in a lot of different ways as leaders within the organization, as well as volunteers for the organization and employees in the organization. Um, First of all, it would be illegal to do otherwise. But I think the bigger issue is really about impact and effectiveness. And if you want that, 
you have to be in allyship with lots of different people. Everybody at Trevor is an ally to someone else. We're all allies at Trevor to our, you know, when you think about who makes up our community. Yes, there are folks that identify as LGBTQ+. There are folks who are working with disabilities. There are folks that fit every race, color, creed. Um, there's a there's a lot of diversity in the ranks, as there are in any company in the U.S. And I would never presume that everyone's going to like each other. That's what I've always said to my students. What you're going to learn here is not that you all need to like each other, to crew for each other. What you're going to learn is being professional actually means you do your job even if you don't like someone. You know, that again, you focus on the mission and the idea of service. And what are you there day after day to serve? That's where your focus needs to be. Um, so I think within Trevor and in the greater world, you know, we're all served by allyship, but actually we need allyship or the world's not going to get better. Absolutely. Peggy, for folks who um, want to follow you or follow Trevor, where should they go? Where should they look online or elsewhere? We're all the great places one needs together. Um, certainly we have Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook. I would really suggest everybody actually just come to our website. It's the best place and it can direct you to all of the other places where we live and reside. Um, you know, there's, um, if you just go the trevorproject.org, you'll, you'll get to us. And online, it's the Trevor Project. Um, if you just put that in your search engine, you'll get to us there. Uh, for folks that are interested in the film, there's a link to the film also on our website. I encourage everyone to go there because it will have the highest quality if you want to see it. That's it's the one place I can control how it's been downloaded and how it's viewed. Um, so, uh, so I encourage folks to check us out there. Right. Yeah, I recommend watching it, seeing how this all started. I think it's it's incredible that uh, at the beginning everyone knew this as an outgrowth of the film, and now the brand has taken on such a life of its own that it's wonderful that people are familiar with the Trevor Project who may not yet be familiar about the film and it's great for them to go check it out. Um, Peggy Reisky, Oscar winner, storyteller, teacher, I think as we experienced today, um, leader, groundbreaker. Thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. This was incredible. And we're so grateful for all the work that you do. Thank you so much, Anthony. And I love what you're doing. And I know you're bringing good things into the world as well. So thank you for that. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Chief Influencer, a production of Social Driver and the Communications Board. If you know a leader who should be featured as a chief influencer, please nominate them at chiefinfluencer.org. For show notes and more, visit us at chiefinfluencer.org or follow Chief Influencer on LinkedIn. Until next time, 